Bows and TKOs, episode six, coming to you at this beautiful Saturday afternoon, the, the afternoon before UFC Fight Night Vegas 77. A little late, but better late than never, as I just got back from All-Star Weekend in Seattle, the beautiful 75 degrees there, as it's 117 here today in Phoenix in the Valley, and uh, it was my birthday week. Just trying to recover. My voice was completely gone until today. I figured it was good enough. So we're going to put out this content as International Fight Week. It was a phenomenal card. We had a recap. Couldn't miss that. Uh, put my picks out there. This will probably be live right before the card. And then I will have a new podcast out on Wednesday. But before we talk all this MMA action, let's talk the one and only sponsor here at Bose and TKOs, and that is Fueled Supplements. So it's time to transform into your ultimate form with Powerhouse, the Jimmy House-inspired pre-workout. The multi-stage stimulant system delivers a facious doses of TCAF green and Phenergy, urea gyrenesis, bitter orange extract, theobromine, and more. Boost natural testosterone with KSM-66, ashwagandha, horny goat weed, and 12 milligrams of barren citrate to increase free testosterone uh, levels. You'll have nitroestrogen, creatine monohydrate stacked for endless endurance. We've included a clinical dose of both pure citrulline and nystrogen, a patented complex of bonded arginine silicate for the maxed out muscle pump that you've come to expect from our faciously dosed products. So go to fueledsupplements.com, use promotion code BUCKETS, that's B-U-C-K-E-T-S, for 15% off of the Jimmy House inspired pre-workout powerhouse. Um, my favorite pre-workout probably overall for field supplements. If you want the real high stim stuff, I like blood rounds, but powerhouse, check it out. Go to fieldsupplements.com, support small business. But enough about MMA. Quickly, just talk my experience at All-Star Weekend because it was a once-in-a-lifetime experience for myself. Growing up in Pinedale, Wyoming, a town of 1,400 in the middle of nowhere in Wyoming, you know, watching the Home Run Derby growing up, you're like, man, that's some crazy stuff. Imagine being able to go there in person one day. Didn't think it would ever be possible, but my friend Tyler and I got season tickets to the Mariners last year while still living in Seattle, which sets you up for affordable all-star tickets. It was $800 a seat for every event over that whole weekend. I didn't fly in until Sunday on my birthday, but it was like mid-70s, low-70s for part of the days that I was there. A good reset coming out of the valley with, uh, you know, record-breaking heat waves this weekend. And I, I flew in about 3.30 to Field Payne Airport, which is amazing. Five minutes from my cousin's house in Muckleteo. Um, you know, didn't have to come all the way up from SeaTac. Small little airport, can very convenient in and out. Uh, went straight to my birthday dinner, had some fun with friends and family uh, to get up early Monday morning for a nice tea time in West Seattle, which was a ton of fun. Did a little scramble with the boys, threw some back, got, got a little litty, got my barber, Percy the Barber. I've done a business episode with him, you know, cut me up all nice and fresh. I was getting shaggy. Um, I haven't found a barber I like here in the, the valley, so got my guy to tune me up even in his day off. Uh, went straight to the home run derby nice and early. What an event that was. Um, I, I figured this would be the event I would end up liking the most. And of course it was. I mean, the matchups were phenomenal. 
you got anyone and everyone besides basically Otana, Otani and Acuna. You know, being an Angel fan, of course, I would have loved to see Otani in it. I think he'll compete in it one more time, probably for his new team, sadly. But the hometown stud, Julio Rodriguez, with 41 homers in the first round, record-breaking moment there. I bet a Mariners fan over under 20 home runs for Julio. He took the under. I took the over, so got a free drink. We doubled down um, when Julio lost. Let's see. I want to make sure I got this right. I, I believe it was to Vladdy, but I can't quite remember. Um, I bet $25 on Vladimir Guerrero. Ended up winning me uh, $250, so also won there. Yeah, so we doubled down. Julio versus Vlad. Uh, Vladdy got one more home run, 21 versus 20. So I got another free drink. So it was, was snaking fans on free drinks. Got to see record-breaking performance performances. How about Adley Rushman going switch hitter? Uh, he's a natural lefty, goes right, hits seven home runs in a row. Although he did not win the first round, that was amazing. Watching just Randy Rosarina's timing. I also bet on Luis uh, Robert Jr., he didn't do as well the second round. First round crushed it. Hit the furthest home run on the evening. But supposedly he hurt his calf, so that could have played part in the home runs. Uh, falling off second round. And uh, Vladdy battling against Randy in the finale. How sick was that? So won quite a few drinks. Had an amazing time. The energy was there. I was in left field by the foul pole. Was this far from a um, Julio home run ball, which would have been amazing. But the kid in front of me laid out, cracked his elbow on the cement stairs in his head while getting the home run. So you had to let that guy get the ball. He went all out for that one. Uh, Tuesday, I uh, was pretty dang hungover, not going to lie. We went out for sushi with my cousins and friends. Just had a long night. Uh, Tuesday was the all-star game. Um, I was actually on TV in about the fourth inning. The reason I know is my phone just started popping off. And a lot of friends and people I haven't talked to in years like, hey, I just saw you on the all-star game. And I'm assuming it was because they just finished interviewing Otani. I had an Otani t-shirt on. They're like, oh, zoom into this guy. I was just chilling in the stands. But a pretty cool moment, amazing weekend. All the festivities they have pregame. We went into Lumen Field, did all the on-field events there, the Wamu Theater. Saw a ton of friends. Met up with coworkers and friends for lunches and dinners. Uh, ate like a king while I was there and was just enjoying the cool air every second I got. My little cousin's son, Mathis, who is an Otani fan as well, uh, wrote me a birthday card that was <laughs> beautiful, uh, made me smile. So it was just cool to connect. Um, you know, here moving in the valley, not knowing a lot of people. Um, it, it's just nice to be around friends and family. And again, that cool air. I've never lived in heat like I'm living in right now while I'm recording this. It's supposed to be 117 today. Let's look and see what it is right now. So it's, uh, you know, it's different. You don't really want to go outside and do much. The uh, electric bills are insane for my house. Right now it is 112, and the high now is 116. 116 tomorrow, 115, 114, 114, 114, 113, 111, 110. It's going to be about 110 or hotter till I go to Montana. So I'm um, looking forward to that, spending days on the lakes. But it was just really cool All-Star Weekend. Wanted to give a little shout-out to Seattle in that event. Don't know the next time I'll go back to Seattle. I, I would like to say I never will because there's nothing that really wants to bring me back, but my cousins live there, so you never know. Um, but, man, was there some UFC action going down on International Fight Week. 
Um, on social media, people are claiming it to be the best card of the year, maybe one of the best cards ever. And don't get me wrong, I absolutely love the card. It was star-studded. There was finishes all, uh, galore. Um, the Robbie Lawler moment, you know, we'll break all these down. But for me, when we're talking about a, a best card ever, I'm thinking about cards that have multiple high-quality fights on them. Um, I think the International Fight Week card I went to seeing John Jones and Tiago Santos go to war and the Ben Askren uh, fastest knockout by Jorge Masvidal. I'll take that one over this. Um, and there's many other ones. So a lot of fans just want to see finishes and blood. So there was plenty of that in this card, and I could see why people will get that. But for me, I want to see, you know, I want to get my money's worth. I don't want, I don't know how many, you know, 50 seconds or less knockouts are were here. I want to see some wars. I want to see some high-quality IQ fighting. And honestly, I think UFC 291 in Salt Lake City has a better card. Um, I, I want to say in, like, episode two of Bows and TKOs, we are comparing 290 to 291 and 292 in Boston, the stacked summer slate. And 291 to me is just, it's, it's going to be hard to beat. And I can't wait to break that down as I head to Salt Lake City at the end of July before I go to Montana. Fired up for that. Um, but let's talk about some fights that have been announced. Because I'm not doing this till Saturday, usually put it, record it Tuesday, put it out Wednesday. There's a lot more here and we'll probably be light on this next week. And we'll talk about the two episodes of Tough since we last spoke. Finally official, the biggest fight, the last fight I wanted to be booked and officialized, John Jones, Stipe Miocic. Um, everyone's like, I don't know how to feel about this. I don't care. The, the GOAT, John Jones, we deserve to see him in the octagon. I doubt this fight will go as the last fight against Cyril gone. And we've been deprived of him in his prime for so long. This is the most anticipated fighter. Um, people can say what they want, but this is the most exciting fight. November 11th. In New York, UFC 295, Madison Square Garden. Wish I could be there. What a show. Want to talk about shows? Want to talk about a badass fight? How about the Corey Sanhagen, Umar Nurmagomedov bantamweight showdown? They have been told that this will be a number one contender fight August 5th. Again, badass for Corey Sanhagen to take this. Some people say it's not the best business move, but sometimes guys need to keep making that money, and you got to continue to beat the best to be the best. Um, Henry Cejudo pulling out of the uh, Marlon Vera fight, UFC 292. So insert Pedro Munoz. And I think this is actually a better quality fight. I'm really excited for this fight in the Boston card. Um, Pedro Munoz's probably last attempt to fight upper, upper echelon competition unless he uh, wins here. So a lot on, uh, on the line for him. And Marlon, after that really bad loss, uh, you know he's going to be hungry and chomping at the bit to get in there. We have... Uh, not a surprising fight booked here. As you knew, Ty Tuavasa was going to fight on the Sydney card, and he's scrapping Alexander Volkov. That is going to be a massive heavyweight fight. Uh, Justin Toffa and Austin Lane, the fight that uh, ended to do a quick eye poke, got rebooked for that Sydney card, UFC 293, on September 9th. And Junior Toffa, the younger brother, taking on Parker Porter, August 26th. Really excited for these late September fights. We got... Charles Jordan versus Ricardo Ramos. Stylistically, that's going to be bonkers. And then uh, Jake Collier versus Muhammad Usman, a tough opponent for the younger, bigger Usman brother. And this was a fight that I kind of thought would be booked, and it gets booked for UFC 294 in Abu Dhabi. We got Tim Elliott versus Muhammad Mokayev. 
Dana White said he's going to be announcing this full card fairly soon. So we're pretty much getting all the way up to 294 built out right now. And after an amazing showing last weekend, Benoit Saint-Denis is right back in the octagon, taking on a very good Tiago Moises, September 2nd. An amazing stylistic matchup there as well. And then we have uh, some random news, you know, pulled fights, dropped fighters, retirements. Uh, Kevin Lee announcing on social media he's retiring at the prime age of 30 years old. A lot of ups and downs in his career. You know, I would not be surprised if he ends up coming back later, but brutal loss against Renat Fakhradinov has forced him into retirement. And, um, you know, he is now very religious. Who knows what his motives are? But he's a high qu enough quality fighter. He could fight in MMA somewhere if he wanted to. Uh, Joanne Wood out of the UFC 291 card in Salt Lake. Pretty bummed about that. But insert Miranda Maverick, and she's going to be taking on Priscilla Coera. Um, Miranda had a pretty tough fight last outing, so it will be interesting to see how she bounces back. Still a good uh, card. I would have loved to see JoJo in person. Um, no, no surprise here. The crazy UFC career that Zalgas Zumagalov has had is no longer with the UFC after like three or four consecutive losses. All split decisions, some he could have won. Uh, you know, we broke this down in depth. Like, all of his fights end up being the same, but he will no longer be on a UFC roster. I'm sure he'll fight in another promotion. Alistair Overeem officially retiring as well. The glory um, legend, uh, a UFC legend, pre-USADA legend. You know, he lost a bunch of weight, fought again, took a loss, and was just saying that he, the love of the sport, you know, kind of went away from him. And I'm not too surprised about this. I mean... The guy has fought a lot of professional fights, and uh, he's 43 years old. His record is 47 and 19. I mean, yeah, I mean the guy's the guy's done a lot. So no surprise there. What a legend he was. I remember him being one of the scariest men I've ever seen once um, he first came to the UFC. Cause I didn't watch Glory. It's like, who the hell is this guy? This guy's insane. Those were like the Shane Carwin days, just the, the big pre-USADA boys. Um, we also have a super big bummer, Jamal Hill vacating the light heavyweight title after rupturing his Achilles playing basketball. And there's been stipulations and rumors around who should be the light heavyweight uh, fill-in fight, uh, the vacant light, light heavyweight championship fight. And obviously... Um, Jan Blakovich is fighting... Alex Pieta, I think the winner of that will be fighting. Um, why do I keep blanking on his name, man? Uh, the guy that got hurt, hurt his shoulder. Crazy light heavyweight. God, I'm blanking. Um, I think the winner on 291 will be fighting Yuri Pashaka for the, for the light heavyweight title. You know, Jamal Hill is going to be out for quite some time with the ruptured Achilles. Uh, a guy that come from the contender series, first contender series champion, went through so much to now, you know, having to deal with this very brutal in the prime of his life. Got to be careful with those other sports. Um, but I'm excited for the uh, Yuri Alec Poatin uh, fight. We just had the UFC Hall of Fame on the International Fight Week festivities as well. We had legends, Jose Aldo, Donald Cowboy Cerrone, Jens Pulver and the spider Anderson Silva inducted the Hall of Fame. You got to see Cowboy holding Nunez's baby. You got to see Jose Aldo overwhelmed with emotions. Jens Pulver, bout time. 
Anderson Silva wasn't there in person, but a great Hall of Fame class. And then, of course, the Robbie Lawler, Rory McDonald fight entered into the Hall of Fame as well. Uh, really cool to see those things. You know, if I were to do International Fight Week early, I would definitely see one of those Hall of Fame ceremonies. Uh, and some of my favorite fighters, I mean, these guys were a, a part of my intro to the UFC. Cowboy, Jose Aldo from the WEC, and um, Anderson Silva, some of my favorite fighters to watch. Uh, so bravo to those legends. <clears throat> now let's talk ultimate fighters. So we had the huge uh, fight of a 1v4 seed, the Conor McGregor's number one seed. And this is when all the drama happens, right? His guy loses. His number one pick loses by submission after winning the first two rounds, gets caught in a guillotine. Um, he pushes Chandler in the face. All the beef happens. This is the drama that's really sold, sold this season. It was a bunch of fun. So I was interested to see how the next episode, how much more drama would be involved there. And this was where Connor was sparring with the guy about to fight, landing clean body shots on him. The guy handled it, said this is helping me. Seemed a little bit over-aggressive, but, you know, I'm not a, a, a fighting coach by any means. It's just interesting to see the difference of Chandler and McGregor. Coming into this season, I, f I figured we'd see this on full display. Um, but his next fighter... Shoots in quickly, gets guillotine. So uh, two quick or one tough submission loss. Uh, the episode before, episode seven, brutal loss. Chandler one fight away from a clean sweep. Four oh six alumni Hunter Azure. I don't know what the results have been. Fingers crossed. I know Hunter's been promoting the shit out of this. He needs to at least win round one for those vets. You know, I'd like to think he could win it all, but there's a lot of tough veterans. And if that's the case, what's going to happen to fighters? I saw a rumor on social media that one of the fighters is switching to Team McGregor, so that would make you think that, uh, and it wasn't Brad Katona, which is surprising. Um, that would make you think that Hunter does get the job done, but I am most eagerly awaiting the next episode as this is the guy that I'm you know, tuned in for. Got to always give the Montana guys the love. Uh, but I've enjoyed Ultimate Fighter. Again, for me, it's about the fighters. It's people that you could follow. Um, Chandler and... McGregor getting beef during this is just a little bit of add-in. They have not had a coach's challenge, which is intriguing maybe because Connor's never fucking there. They're not doing that. Uh, but I would like to see something like that go down, a little bit more competition. But either way, I enjoy the show. I know a lot of people are like, man, everyone wants reality TV, and you know, no one could even watch a show for 30 minutes without opening reels and TikTok and everything else. It's the world we live in. But I'm an OG. I love it. I like great production. Ultimate Fighter's great. Elsewhere in the world of MMA, Logan Paul said he would fight Patty the Batty, Patty Pimblett on the undercard of the Zuckerberg fight, which is rumored to happen in UFC 300. Zuckerberg's been training with Volkanovski and Israel Adesanya. They showed a video of him uh, on the boat with them. I'm not sure if this was New Zealand or where. They, they were um, lake surfing, super jealous. One experience that must be. And... Uh, Elon's been pretty vocal about, you know, how serious he is about this fight. So hopefully that happens. I would love to see Logan Paul, Patty Pimblett. I think that'd be an evenly matched fight. That'd be a ton of fun. In boxing, Anthony Joshua versus Dillian White, August 12th in London official. Big, big fight for Anthony Joshua. And then a big announcement that Dana White had is that um, George St. Pierre, GSP, fighting on the Fight Pass Invitational. I think this is going to be Fight Pass Invitational 6, December 14th. 
And supposedly GSP is trying to get Michael Bisbing to come out and grapple for that event. So wherever GSP is, I'm going to be tuning in. And finally, official uh, Francis Ngannou and Tyson Fury, October 28th in Saudi Arabia. Ten rounds. Looked like it is technically going to be an official record fight, not an exhibition fight, but not like a completely pro fight. I don't know how those specifics work in boxing, to be honest with you. Uh, but Francis Ngannou, Tyson Fury, this is why Francis left the UFC. A lot of people have said he's getting $8 million. That's not true. It's eight figures. Regardless, he's getting a good payday. I'm glad he got Fury. I didn't know if that would happen, especially after um, um, being out for so long and it was supposed to happen earlier. Then there was rumors of other boxers that he would fight. So glad he's getting this. See what happens. I'm more intrigued to see him in the PFL, to be honest. Um, this will be kind of a fun event, but I don't expect it to be super competitive unless Fury takes rounds off like uh, Mayweather did McGregor. But let's talk UFC 290. I went 5-5, five and five, which puts us at 34-24 and 24 with bows and TKOs, uh, 10 over 500. And there was a couple last-minute things happening in this card. Treshawn Gore injured the fight week of. Uh, this went pretty viral with Bo Nickel on the Embeddeds. You know, obviously really wanted to get a fight booked. So we got combat, combat pro alum Val Woodburn, who's down to scrap. And then Jack Maddalena fight off with Josiah. He had some health issues, supposedly might save his life. So glad that happened. And he has moved to this weekend's card against Basil Hafez, another guy making his UFC debut. Other than that, there were some good fights that we did not break down all early knockouts. How about Jesus Aguilar with the big right hand right away? First round knockout over Shannon Ross. Um, great way to get Mexico on the board early. Cameron Simon with a first round knockout over Terrence Mitchell. What a performance that was in the first round. Terrence was coming after him pretty hard as well. And when you have these early knockouts in the prelims, I was telling my buddy, I was like, this is going to be a good card. There's high energy. They're setting the tone. You want that 50K bonus, you're going to have to show out. And Denise Gomes, an early first-round knockout over Yasmin Jarugi, which is pretty rare on the women's side of thing to get a quick knockout like that. 50 Gs, performance of the night for Denise Gomez. And then the young stud, Tatsuru Tyra, happened to handle a big shot early and just showed off brilliant jujitsu with the unanimous decision over Edgar Chirez. Uh, so the hype of Tatsuru continues. The way he's able to float his hip and keep on side and top control, unbelievable. A guy of my size, I don't think that is possible. But I love watching him, the mind of a young man, play chess and jujitsu. Try to level up your knowledge. <clears throat> Sorry, my voice a little harsh. Drinking plenty of water. I'm on week seven of Invisalign, which really I didn't ever think of really messes up my pronunciations. I'm like spitting and my, I feel like I have a lisp almost. But anyways, we're kicking this bad boy off in the early prelims where I started with an L. But Vic, Vitor Petrino with a third round submission via arm triangle choke, my favorite submission, beautifully displayed by Petrino over the veteran Marcin Procnio. And with a lot of these fights, you know, Vitor looked pretty good early. Um, Procnio was able to weather the storm. And I thought he would tire out Vitor, and he was clearly having the advantage on his feet uh, while they were striking, making it a kickboxing fight. 
But Vitor did not want that to happen. He continually got takedowns and was able to have top control on Procnio. And just wore on him to the point in round three. He was able to smash and pass, get that arm up, get that arm triangle choked. Beautiful finish for Vitor, the young stud. He looks huge, man. Um, statistically, Vitor landed 72 total strikes, 44 of those significant. Uh, he did have four takedowns and six attempts. So again, he was clearly had a game plan to get uh, Procnio down as early as possible. He had two submission attempts. Uh, Marcin landed 147 total strikes, 55 of those significant. So had high volume, not a lot of big ones. And he was 0 for 1 in his own takedown attempts. So Vitor stays undefeated and extends his winning streak to 9. He is 3-0 in the UFC. Marcin starts a new losing streak and is 1-2 since the beginning of 2022. So what's next for these gents? I would love to see Vitor take on Felipe Monstro Linz. That would be phenomenal. And for Marcin, he could square up with Tyson Pedro. Either way, I'm, I'm tuning in next time these guys um, get in the octagon. And that was in the early prelims. Stepping into the prelims a few months ago, we get the rematch of a uh, no-contest draw. Alonzo Menafield manhandled Jimmy Crute here with a second-round submission via guillotine choke. And you would think with a few months off, you'd come in a game plan, be a little bit more aggressive. Jimmy would focus where he had success in the first fight. And it's like he almost remembered some of the power shots that Alonzo hit him with. Wasn't quite mentally prepared. He got beat at every situation he, he, uh, Alonzo was stuffing takedowns. Alonzo was piecing him up on his feet. He was not aggressive. He was not pushing forward. And that's not what you come to expect with Jimmy Crute. Um, since the loss, Jimmy has come to social media and said he's not officially retiring. He is taking a year off to get his headspace right and determine what the future holds. I mean, the guy is only 27 years old, uh, but Alonzo Menafield is looking good. He's on a roll. When we look at the stats, Jimmy only landed 32 total strikes 26 of which were significant, and he only got one takedown in five attempts, so didn't have success there. And Alonzo only landed 25 total, but 21 significant and had the submission attempt. So Alonzo extends his winning streak to three. Obviously had the draw in between. He is 5-1-1 one, one since the beginning of 2021. Lots of momentum under him. He moves into the top 15 rankings, I believe for the first time at number 14, which is massive. And Jimmy extends his losing streak to three with the draw. He moves to two, three, and one since the beginning of 2020. So again, Jimmy talked about taking the time off, so we won't uh, assume a, an opponent for him because he may not ever fight in the UFC again. And for Alonzo, with this kind of momentum, let's put him up a notch. How about a high, high, impactful, lots-on-the-line affair with Dominic Reyes stylistically that's what the people want. Matchmakers make it happen. And I hate that this was in the prelims, but God damn, what a good way to set up the main card. We had Robbie, Ruthless, Lawler for the last time. Round one knockout over Nico Price. And everyone probably said the same thing I did. This is Robbie's last shot. He's Ruthless Robbie for a reason. He's going to go out there, six shooters ready to go. And he came out. And just took it to Nico, a guy in his prime, over 10 years younger than him. That's the way you go out because there were so many finishes. We got to enjoy Robbie in the octagon, the whole serenade, the video. What an awesome performance. I got the chills just thinking about it. 
and it only took Robbie eight total strikes, eight significant with the knockdown. Nico only landed two total and significant strikes. So Robbie ended his career with the win, ended up going two and one since the beginning of 2021. And Nico extends his losing streak to two. He is only one and four since the beginning of 2020. So clearly Robbie retires. And, you know, this just happened with his Rory McDonald fight entering the Hall of Fame. What an amazing career. You know, bow down to Mr. Robbie Lawler. If Nico is still in the UFC, I think a, a fight with Warley Alves would be the fight to make. Now kicking off the main card, we had Bo Nickel with a round one knockout over Val Woodburn. And, uh, you know, these are all fast knockouts. I don't have to break down much. You could just tell that Bo's fakes Val overreacted harshly. He, you know, kind of did a takedown, wasn't really trying to take down, and he was really trying to focus on it. So Bo broke down his uh, fight on someone's podcast or someone on Twitter. He was breaking it down. His memory is like a QB. He's, he, he could rewatch it in his head, think about what he was reading. And he talked about just a quick faint right, followed up with the right, pieced him up, quick left, body right, uppercut. That was it. And, um, you know, although Val's making his UFC debut, took this on short notice, he's still scary. He still was throwing gas. He could knock anybody out. The improvement at such a young, unexperienced age of just lack of fights, lack of detail for Bo Nickel, this man is going to be a problem. On Bo's and TKO's Insta and Twitter, check it out, at Bo's and TKO's. I do a segment, Thursday Thoughts, just random thoughts that I would like people to, um, you know, put their thoughts on. And one of the things was Bo Nickel will have the middleweight title by Q1 of 2025. I usually say a fighter will get two to three fights. So let's say he gets one more fight this year. I don't think it'll be a top 15. Two top 15 fights the next year. He could be right in the title fight early 2025. Um, but Bo is a problem, man. He's going to be good everywhere. The way his hands are, you know, these early knockouts, he's getting against tough dudes this early on. Watch out. So Bo landed seven total and significant strikes with the knockdown. He was 0 for 1 in takedown attempts. Val landed two total and significant strikes. Bo stays undefeated and extends his winning streak to five. He is 4-0 in the UFC. And Val starts a new losing streak and his first loss as a pro. So I think Bo's ready for a leap up. Again, Bo's a TKO's Twitter and Instagram. Um, you know, we don't need to rush him at this point. Dana talked about it. But give us a banger. Bruno Silva, Bo Nickel, let's freaking go. And for Val, you know, he, he's going to deserve another UFC fight here. Get his feet wet in the UFC with a scrap against Joseph Holmes. That's the fight to make. And then we had <laughs> just an amazing fight. I mean, some of these next few fights were just phenomenal. Dan Hooker with the split decision over Jalen Turner. Got this fight white right. Obviously got the bow fight right, got the Lawler fight wrong, but happy. You know, I'm not surprised. I'm happy I got it wrong. I picked Jimmy Crute, so got that one wrong as well. But originally watching the Dan Hooker fight, I thought Turner run, uh, won rounds one and two, to be honest with you. And um, that wasn't the case. Um, 
the story coming in here was that Jalen Turner missed weight by three pounds. The guy is like 6'4", clearly cuts a ton of weight to get down, has been very close before. I think, you know, this is his first time weighing over. Will be interesting to see what his future holds. Um, but that really wasn't as much of an issue as I expected it to be. And, again, originally I thought Jalen won rounds one and two. But after watching it back, I did give round one to Hooker. I think he just landed more volume. Um, Hooker or uh, Turner had the bigger shot, but Hooker was all in his face. Round two, I do give the, the round to T Turner, even though he almost got finished at the end of round two. If he had 15 seconds left, uh, Hooker was getting that rear naked choke, and it looked like he had no gas coming for round three. He was laying down the octagon for quite some time. Round three... He was able to just push forward, try to do as much as he could with the last five minutes, even got a takedown, but Hooker was pouring it on in round three. But the biggest moment was the high head kick in round two. How in the hell did Dan Cooker have fractured his orbital, be able to eat that, continue to fight that fight, ended up breaking his hand? Um, amazing back and forth affair. Both guys put it on the line. Massive win for Dan Hooker, although he's going to be out for quite some time. And uh, Jalen just showed the growth that he's had of, of late. And uh, this was one hell of a showdown. You know, to, to, to make a card the best card ever or of the year, we need more fights like that. There was only two fights like this on this card. The rest were really quick knockouts. That's what lacks for me. Uh, statistically, Jalen went all out. He landed 113 total strikes. 100 of those were significant. He had one takedown and three attempts. I did not have a Jalen Turner takedown on my bingo card. And then Dan landed a whopping 172 total strikes, 125 of those significant, had the submission attempt and the knockdown, and was 0 for 2 in takedown attempts. But, I mean, these guys did everything. Dan Hooker with the inside leg kicks. They were throwing teep kicks. They had nice com combinations. Um, even, you know, ended up on the canvas, ended up some dirty clinch in the, in the, on the octagon. Amazing fight to watch when they, you get to see the fights go everywhere. And uh, the Warriors battling, even though it seemed like Jalen had nothing in the tank in round three. So Dan extends his winning streak to two. He is two and one since the beginning of 2022. He moves up two spots in the rankings to number 10. And Jalen extends his losing streak to two. He is two and two since the beginning of 2022. He moves down one spot in the rankings to number 12. Now Dan's nursing some serious injuries. I'd be surprised if he fought this year. If he does fight maybe early next year, late this year, I would love to see him match up with Renato Moicano. Moicano wants money. That's a wonderful gift for him and all fight fans. Let's make that fight happen. And for Jalen, I think a matchup with Demiraz Mugalov, that would be box office. I do think Demir has better grappling, but both guys would stand up for the fight, which is something we need to see with this Mugalov because he's so talented. He almost retired. I just want to see the best version of Demir. And the biggest shocker of the night, I will admit I was completely wrong. I did not think Dricus Duplessis would ever, ever get a finish, especially round two over Robert Whitaker. Will earn a performance of the night, 50 Gs, lots of drama in the octagon with Izzy after a few drinks. <laughs> um, I will just credit not only Dricus for the fight performance, but the way he handled that Israel Adesanya situation. What is he supposed to say? You know, maybe there was some things that happened that I'm not aware about that has Izzy fought up. Maybe he's just trying to sell the card. I feel like that was super unprofessional. Uh, you know, the way Dracus just left, handled it, post-fight interview. Mad, mad respect to him. It won me over. 
a little bit on him. And I've been a fan of Dracus. When he came in, I, I was like, damn, this guy's a problem. I picked him over Brad Tavares, a fight I watched live in Vegas. Barely scraped away that victory. I, I, I was really worried about his cardio and the nose issue. He got that fixed, and now look at him. And um, I'm not saying Robert was the issue here. I think we just got to give credit to Duplessis. He came out aggressive like he always had, poured it on, and Robert couldn't handle that. And I am just shocked he didn't. Um, and he did land his own shots. He did have his moments. But this was all about Dricus. Um, statistically, Robert landed 32 total and 31 significant strikes with the takedown. Duplessis landed 74 total with 62 of those significant. Even got a takedown on Robert, which was surprising, and a knockdown. Uh, when Robert got the takedown, I was like, okay, he's going to do this. He's going to tire him out. And, you know, credit to uh, Duplessis to get off his back and just stay aggressive, get his own takedown, wear on Robert. Over the course of two rounds, it was high-paced high action. And um, Duplessis never let Robert come forward, which was probably a change of pace and, and something Robert didn't expect. And, and you could tell the whole week leading up, Robert was taking this seriously. So uh, Duplessis, he's a problem. Watch out. So Dricus extends his winning streak to eight. He is 6-0 and oh in the UFC. He does move up four spots in the rankings to the number one contender. And Robert starts a new losing streak. He is 1-2 and two since the beginning of 2022. He moves down one spot to number three in the rankings. Really be interesting to see what Robert does moving forward. I think we're for sure getting Duplessis in Israel out of Sanya, um, which does add some new excitement and preparation for Izzy. Some excitement in the division as we get some new blood. You know, Robert's going to, in my opinion, stay in this weight class, going up to light heavyweights, a big leap. I would like a back-on-track fight against Sean Strickland, who looked good in his last win, and is someone that he surprisingly hasn't fought yet. So that seems like the appropriate match for me. And then we had fight of the night, the co-main event, Brandon Moreno in the rematch is never get old, man. Alexandre Pantoja with a split decision victory over Brandon Moreno. And I, I, I clearly thought Pantoja won. Some people are saying on Twitter they weren't sure. I think it was a unanimous decision. And uh, I was pro-Brandon here. I thought the multiple uh, title fights would, would lead Brandon to victory. I thought the cardio and endurance issue for Pantoja would be a, a lot bigger problem. Um, you know, he's never really fought in rounds four and five in championship rounds. And I love the way Brandon started this fight. Came out straight to Prantoja, got the body lock, got him up against the cage, uh, looked to take control. I expected that to be reversed where Prantoja would come for a takedown right away. Uh, round one, I gave to Pantoja, especially with the knockdown. He, he landed a, a clean right on the button to Brandon. Uh, Moreno was pretty bloodied. You know, the, the judges love to score damage. In round two, I gave to Moreno, as you, you expected. You could really see Pantoja start to get tired. You know, he was throwing haymakers. He wasn't trying to be light with it. Brandon had the faster, quicker jab that ended up piecing up Pantoja. And this is where I was like, all right, we're going to come to see Brandon do his thing. As the fight goes on, Brandon's going to take advantage. And I think that easily could have happened under one stipulation. Don't let Pantoja get you down. Hold you for multiple minutes and get your back. So I had it 1-1. Uh, going into the third round, and Pantoja looked gassed, so I did not expect him to get Brandon's back, which he did, and control majority of the round. So I had it 2-1 Pantoja going into round four, and again, he looked completely gassed. But what can you do? Go in, get some grappling going, and preserve your energy. He grappled Moreno. He got, got Moreno where he wanted him in rounds four and five. I thought it was a one-round 
uh, victory by Moreno. So I thought it was clearly a unanimous decision by Pantoja. And, you know, the, I, I really thought it was weird. People are booing him. He was even asking, why are you booing me? I'm a good guy. I have a good story. And it's just the love for Moreno. Anyone goes against Moreno, you're getting booed. So I don't think it was anything against Pantoja. I've never had anything against Pantoja. I've respected him as a fighter. But hearing the story that before the uh, Brandon Roy Vall fight, he was doing Uber Eats and had no money. I mean, what a story. You could see the emotion behind him. You know, some of the Brazilian fighters, mad respect, they got a Brazilian champion again. Gil uh, Gilbert Burns was pretty emotional. I thought this was an amazing moment. And, uh, you know, there needs to be more respect to Pantoja's name. He's a dog. He showed the dog in him. And he's going to be a problem. He fought Moreno in his prime. You know, Moreno's only 29 years old. Unless they run back another fight, which they did with Divasin, it's possible. I don't know how Brandon's going to be able to get a title shot again. It's going to be a long road back. But the babyface assassin ain't going anywhere. What an amazing fight. Statistically, Brandon landed 167 total strikes with 147 of those significant. He did have two takedowns and four attempts and three reversals. The reversals were, were big moments, uh, but, you know, he didn't get to do much with them. Uh, Pantoja landed 161 total, 129 of those significant. He had six takedowns and 11 attempts and that knockdown. So Alexandre extends his winning streak to four and Brandon starts a new losing streak. He moves into the number one contender spot. I really do think just because the new opponents, we're going to see Pantoja versus Amir Albazi. I wouldn't be surprised if they did one more run it back with Pantoja. As Dana White said after the fight, just like he said with the Divison fight, who's not going to want to see this run back? I know I would. Um, but I think they changed it up a little bit and let Pantoja get Amir Albazi and then... Um, Roy Vall probably deserves this, but he's already lost to Pantoja. And if it's up to Pantoja's at all, I would assume he wants Amir. And for Brandon, he can then fight Brandon Roy Vall, who he's already beat by round one knockout, um, TKO. Unless, you know, they want to give Brandon Roy Vall the shot. He deserves to fight someone. But a guy that Brandon hasn't fought is Mathus Nicolau. That'd be a new opponent, some fresh starts. I'd like to see these guys square off against new opponents. They win again. You know, maybe let them get in there. And then the main event. This fight went exactly how I expected. Alexander the Great Volkanovsky with a round three TKO over Yair Rodriguez. And thank goodness I put a $50 bet that Volkanovsky get a round three finish. One sub cheddar, one sub cheddar on the home run derby. <laughs> Little extra fluff to the weekend, birthday weekend. Let's go. Um, but Volk is too high level. I knew Volk would use his grappling in this fight. You do not want to kickbox back and forth with Yair and lead up the big shots. And he did not let Yair take any steps forward to get the flying knees, to get the elbows, to get all that crazy stuff. And that's the way you got to do it. You got to sit in the pocket. You got to continue to come forward. He was mixing in the grappling, a very well done show. And I think this sets up the stage for Volk to go against Islam one more time for champ champ status. If not, there's not a lack of fights. If Aljo wins, he could potentially fight Aljo. Um, you know, maybe Aliyah Toporia. The list goes on. Some fresh blood for Alexander the uh, the Great. And golly, man, what a performance he put on. Um, I mean, look at the stat difference. Volk landed 149 total strikes, 66 of those significant, and had seven takedowns and 12 attempts. Pretty much anything he wanted, he got it. Yair had only 57 total strikes and 40 significant. If you can hold... Yair to under 60 significant strikes in almost three full rounds. 
That's saying something, and the way to do that is continually push him forward. So Volk starts a new winning streak. He does stay undefeated in the featherweight division. I think we're at like 16 featherweight wins. Yair has had his two-fight winning streak come to an end. He does start a new losing streak and moves down one spot in the rankings to number two. And again, I'm a believer it's going to be Islam Volk. If not, I would assume that if Aljo fight, uh, beats Sean O'Malley, that's going to be the fight. And for Yair, just because this didn't happen, and I think it would be a fantastic matchup, let's run it back with Brian Ortega. That fight re really never got going as Brian injured his shoulder early and um, couldn't continue, and that was last year in July. So let's, let's run it back. I think those two are, are some of the best in the featherweight division anyways. But again, what a card. Amazing finishes. Um, two high, high-quality fights. A shocker with Drikus. Um, Robbie Lawler getting the moment that he had. I really, really did enjoy this card. I just think everyone, you know, they're, they're feeling the emotions. They're all built up. Everyone's always like, this is the best fight ever, the best card ever. This is all amazing. I think we forget to uh, remember what, what the sport has provided us of late. This weekend, UFC Fight Night Vegas 77, another Apex card. A full card's going to be on ESPN. Uh, it's a summer slate. You know, UFC gets to fill up the, the schedule. The prelims start at 4. It's 2 o'clock right now. Main card at 7 Pacific. And um, I'm not going to be not going to beat around the bush here. This is a pretty shallow card. You really got to be a deep UFC fan to really know what's happening here. And the card got weakened as Walt, Har Walt Harris was making his long-awaited re return. And he is out this fight due to a USADA suspension. He blames the sainted substance or he took a substance he didn't know his US USADA approved. He's been taking it forever. Who knows what the truth is there. But um, that would have added to the card for sure. Some good fights we will not break down in the prelims. Tyson Nam is taking on an undefeated fighter making his UFC debut. Everyone's riding high on the, the young fighter. Tyson Nam is a wily veteran, though, and throws heat. You cannot overlook him. I did put Tyson on my picks. And then we got Otman Azaitar versus Francisco Prada. Both one-loss fighters on the main card. Should be on the main card for a reason. But we're going to start with what potentially could be my fight of the night in the prelims. We got Austin Lights Out Lingo, the 29-year-old fighter with a 9-2 and two record. Taking on Melquizale Melk Costa, the 26-year-old fighter with a 19-6 and six record. And again, this is such a high-quality matchup because how evenly uh, matched this is. And both guys are good on, in grappling and striking. Um, two men definitely have fought some stiff UFC competition early in their careers. You know, Melk's only 26. Austin's almost in his prime at 29. And they should be hungry for a UFC victory. They train at good gyms. They have um, they've fought at high-level promotions coming into the UFC. So breaking it down, Austin trades out of Fortis MMA. He has a purple belt in BJJ, a black belt in Taekwondo. He is on a one-fight losing streak, but is 2-2 two two in the UFC, and he is an LFA alum. Now, Melk trains, trains out of shoot box. He's on a one-fight losing streak, which was his UFC debut against Thiago Moises. Very good fight. He's a PFL jungle fight and LFA alum. So again, these guys, you know, have been uh, bred well into the UFC. And seven of his 19 wins are via knockout, six via submission. This guy's a finisher, 13 of his 19 wins via finish. I think as long as this fight's uh, on the feet, it's going to be fantastic. The fans are going to be fired up. 
I do think Melk's going to have the power advantage, but Austin's good with distance control. He showed how well he could do against a very tough Nate the Train and Nate Landwehr. And um, fighting guys like Nate and Yusuf Salal for Austin, I think, really is going to help here. He typically does go to decision in three rounds with Melk is going to be tough. But I am taking Austin Lingo uh, by decision. And live odds right now, he is plus 190, almost a plus 200 dog. Sprinkle some money on him. I am putting him on my parlay. The dogs are coming to eat. We're putting him on, um, and we making that bread. Let's go. Moving into the main card. Terrence T-Rex McKinney, the 28-year-old fighter with a 13-5 record, taking on Nazim Black Wolf, Black Wolf Sadikov, the 29-year-old fighter with an 8-1 record. To be honest, if there's Terrence McKinney fighting, there's never a lack of action. you got to tune in once he steps into the octagon. He's definitely getting a fighter that hasn't lost since his pro debut and hasn't shied away from action with multiple knockouts himself. So what does that equal? We're going to get a car crash in the middle of the octagon, so don't blink. Uh, Terrence has a purple belt in BJJ. He's got a JUCO wrestling background out of North Idaho College. He has the fastest finish in UFC lightweight Division history in seven seconds against the steamroller, Matt Fravola. He was Sure Dog's 2022 round of the year against Drew Dober. What a round that was. He is an LFA and Contender Series alum. He's on a one-fight losing streak and is 2-2 two and two since the beginning of 2022. He does have a four-and-a-half-inch reach advantage. Eight of his 13 wins are via submission, and four of his five losses are via knockout. Now, Nazim is on an eight-fight winning streak. He's a Contender Series Ring of Combat and Cage Fury alum. Six of his eight wins are via knockout. And again, with those stats, I doubt this fight makes it to the scorecards. I believe Terrence has definitely got the advantage fighting higher-level competition in the UFC. He needs a win here. He knows how important this is for him. Um, you're almost 29 in your prime. You suffer a loss here. It's really setting you back. You aren't going to be sniffing the top 15 anytime soon. For that reason, I'm taking another underdog. Terrence McKinney's at plus 135. Little underdog parlay, you never know. I'm, I'm putting him on my parlay. We mark a T-Rex down, and we get in that bread. Moving on, we got Normal, the immortal Dumont, 32-year-old fighter with a 9-2 record and the number 13 next to her name, taking on Chelsea Chandler. 29 years old with a 5-1 record and the number 15 next to her name. Uh, things got chippy at the weigh-ins yesterday morning for good reason. You know, both women are rolling into the rankings. Um, you know, they're pretty much in their primes. They're evenly matched, a lot on the line for these ladies. And Norma's on a two-fight winning streak. She's 5-2 in the UFC. She's a Jungle Fight alum. Chelsea's on a one-fight winning streak, which was her UFC debut. It was a performance of the night with an impressive round one TKO finish. She is an Invicta alum, and two of her five wins are via knockout. I think Norma is going to get this fight to the canvas as soon as possible. I think she's going to wear on Chelsea. She's not going to make this a boxing fight. And um, I would assume she's just got a good IQ that's going to help eliminate Chandler's strengths up against the cage. They're going to come out with a good game plan. For that reason, I'm taking a more the immortal Norma Dumont I am putting her on my parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Moving on. We got Albert Machete Duraev, the 34-year-old fighter with a 16-4 record, 
taking on Jun Yang, the Iron Turtle Park. 32-year-old fighter with a 16-5 and record. Now, another evenly matched showdown here. Both men in their primes. They're well-rounded, good at striking, good at grappling. And both men have strung together some nice wins lately and have some good names on their, their resume. Um, a lot on the line for these guys in their primes. When we break it down, Albert's on a one-fight winning streak. He's a contender series and M1 alum. Nine of his 16 wins are via submission. Four of his four losses are via knockout. Now, Jung trains out of a, a Korean top team. He's on a three-fight winning streak. Five of his 16 wins are via knockout. Five via submission. So 10 of his 16 wins are via finish. Now, Albert really has fought some stiff competition since he, he's been in the UFC, and he's done a very good job. That's the reason I, I, I know who he is and I'm tuning in. I think he is going to have a, a slight striking and grappling advantage, small margin, and I think he looks to keep this fight standing if possible. He is also a live plus 130 underdog. Like I said, the dogs are coming to eat. Hoo, hoo. I'm taking Albert. I'll put him on that parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Then the short notice co-main event, the fact that this was a prelim at one second made you laugh. We finally get to see Jack Della Maddalena, the 26-year-old fighter with a 14-2 record and the number 14 next to his name, taking on Basil Badre Hafez, the 31-year-old fighter with an 8-3 record. Now, Basil not only took this on short notice, but he had a really tough time making weight yesterday morning. He looked pretty rough, like in cave cheeks. His, he just looked like a skeletor. I'm glad Jack's going to be able to get the fight here. You are going to have to watch out for Basil as he's going to go out there and try to, you know, let 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 the the bombs drop, so to speak. But uh, this is going to be a tough night in the office for Basil. Uh, Jack has a boxing background. He's got a brown belt in BJJ. His last three fights have been performance of the night. He was the 2022 UFC Men's Rookie of the Year. He's on a 14-fight winning streak and is 5-0 and in the UFC. 11 of his 14 wins are via knockout. He is a contender series and Cage Warriors alum. Now, Basil trains at an elevation fight team. He's on a two-fight winning streak. He is a Cage Fury alum. Four of his eight wins are via submission, and he does have a three-inch reach advantage. I think there's a lot going against Basil in this fight. I assume he goes out there swinging, a chance to shock the world, just like uh, Val did against Bo last week. I think Jack's going to weather that storm or counter and get an early finish. Another potential performance of the night for him to stack up. Uh, I am taking Jack Della. We put him on that parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. What sets us up for the main event of the evening? The legend, Holly, the preacher's daughter, Holm. 41 years old with a 15-6 and six record and the number three next to her name. Taking on Myra Shitara Bueno Silva, 31 years old with a 10-2-1 record and the number 10 next to her name. This is a good matchup. Two women in different stages in their careers put a ton on the line, especially with the, the retirement of Amanda Nunez. Holly has a boxing and kickboxing background. My voice might go out reading her resume. She trains at a Jackson Week MMA She's got a blue belt in BJJ. In boxing, she won everything. If you're a boxing fan, maybe this will relate to you. 
but she was a WBF, WBC, WBAN, WIBA, IBFA boxing champion. She was the she had the 05 upset of the year. She was the 05 hottest rising star of the year. 06 most improved, 07 fighter of the year, 08 highest accomplished of the year, 09 most accomplished of the year, 2010 and uh, no 2010 fighter of the year, 2011 fight of the year, 2012 biggest comeback of the year, and 2012 boxing female fighter of the year. So in boxing, she did the damn thing. That's why I picked her to knock out new, uh, Ronda Rousey. Won some good bread there. She's a former UFC women's bantamweight champion. In 2015, she had the upset of the year against Ronda Rousey, which is also the KO of the year, and got her newcomer of the year. She's on a one-fight winning streak and is 3-1 and one since 2020. Had some issues during COVID, hasn't been super active, but she's winning. And the 3-1, and one, she should be 4-0. Eight of her 15 wins are via knockout, and she is a Legacy FC and Bellator alum. Now, Myra trains out of ATT. She has a purple belt in BJJ. She's on a three-fight winning streak. Seven of her 10 wins are via submission. Very impressive. She's a Contender Series alum and has a two-and-a-half-inch reach advantage. Now, Holly has looked great of late, 41 years old. The cardio and conditioning she's in, top of the world. She is leveraged, mixing and grappling and striking. I think she's going to be more striking heavy than late than she has of late because Myra is really good on the ground, coming off back-to-back impressive early submissions against high-quality names. I think Holly's going to do whatever she can to win here to get another potential title shot on the line. You know, this could put you in a number one contender uh, uh, spot with a nice win. I do think that Raquel Pennington's uh, deserving um, we really have no idea. Like, is 145 even going to stay? So you, you got to win if you're these ladies. For that reason, I'm taking Holly home. One more last big win in her. I'm putting the preacher's daughter on my parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. And since it's Saturday, I don't normally get to do this. I have a vision of starting a Discord or something and giving you guys my specific bets. But here's my little parlay. Off the winnings of last weekend. It's a little $25 parlay, high risk, high reward. Plus 42, 49 odds. I'm taking Austin Lingo, Terrence McKinney, Norma Dumont, Albert Doraev, Jack Della Madalena, and Holly Holm to win 1,087 on MGM. Let's make it happen. Bows and TKOs. Uh, next weekend, we get an awesome fight night. None of this light BS. It's going down in London at the O2. Early 12 p.m. start because it is London. We're getting the return of Tommy Aspinall. Tommy Aspinall. He's taking on Marcin Tibera. It's stacked with London talent. Episode 6. Again, better late than never. My voice is almost gone. Can't wait to talk about the fights next week. I'm your host, Shane Gillette. Peace.